On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Scott from NomNom. He is the VP of Growth uh, over at NomNom, and they have had an just absolutely meteoric rise. Uh, and we talked, we got into the nitty-gritty details of marketing. Um, if you want to hear a conversation between um, two marketing uh, for, you know, I don't know a better term than nerds, um, you are going to absolutely love this episode. Uh, I know that I did. I had so many questions for him on how they track um, attribution, how they uh, you know measure success, and it's not based on return on ad spend, which is something interesting and something that we're finding a little bit more and more, and it's based more around customer lifetime value. So um, if any of that sounds interesting, then I think that today's episode is going to be just phenomenal for you. Before we begin, we wanted to let you know some really exciting news and something that we've never talked about before on the podcast. Our team at Mindful Marketing is growing, and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. Now, on to today's episode. All right, I am here with Scott Brinkman from Nom Nom. Scott, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thanks so much, Jordan. It's nice to be here. Excited yeah. to chat. Totally, totally. I feel like this is going to be like a super like marketing nerd chat. Um, yes. Scott is the VP of growth over there. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, this is an, an awesome conversation. I mean, conversation. You guys know, like I have conversations with founders all the time. These are, you know, these growth people, these, these are the people I really want to talk to. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to this. Scott, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Of course. So I sort of am a, have a funny story with Nom Nom, and I'm certainly not your standard growth, uh, growth marketer. Um, I actually helped found the business six years ago. Co-founders and I are all uh, close uh, and personal friends. And I ended up leaving about six months later because I moved to Chicago from San Francisco and just couldn't do sort of the early, early stage remotely at the time. But if you fast forward to this last January or this January in 2020, I rejoined uh, to run growth. My background is actually in entirely in product management uh, and also in B2B uh, software product management and product leadership. Interesting. So I have <laughs> totally a very different. different perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could probably guess, I'm not much of a brand person, uh, but uh, all of this sort of analytical background and approach to sort of how you build effective software that drives values in the same perspective that I've brought to growth at NomNom. Uh, and it has been a wild ride. 2020 certainly has been a wild ride for all of us. But proud to say, you know, as we look back on the year, it's been by far our best year ever. And we're set up for a really exciting next couple of years. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the company, just for some context around the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah, for sure. So Nom Nom is a pet health company uh, that helps our pets live longer, happier lives uh, through better nutrition. And namely, that is, you know, that is a food for the most part, but we do have probiotics, we have supplements, we even have a microbiome test kit where we will assay all of the genetics of your animal's uh, gut bacteria. Um, but we firmly believe that, you know, we've been f- it, accidentally feeding our dogs and cats pretty terrible things. Uh, and again, it's not anyone's fault, but uh, we try to bring a very scientific uh, approach to it, frankly, most uh, pet marketing is just that. It's just marketing, a little science involved. So we have a 
science team on staff uh, and all of our recipes are made by us. So that's another big part. The fresh food category, if you sort of had to orient where it is in the universe of dog and cat food, uh, on our right-hand side would be raw feed, raw, raw feeders. Yeah. And then on the left-hand side would be your like premium kibble, fresh pets of the world. Fresh just means human grade ingredients. So these are literally the same ingredients that you and I eat, uh, but formulated obviously for our pets. Interesting. Okay. Super cool. Well, let's have a conversation about how you guys actually get your product in front of people. Um, I can imagine that that particular interest, I'm just thinking just Facebook marketing wise is absolutely saturated with brands trying to get in front of pet owners. Is that true? Or, or do you guys kind of have this like, you know, blue ocean of like, Hey, yeah, we can just get in front of people and they'll purchase and like $5 CPAs and. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, no, no, uh, we have, yeah. So, so we have a compounding challenge in that, uh, on one hand, we are a premium subscription good. And the reality is we are three to four times more expensive than a bag of kibble. Uh, and so not only are we three to four times more expensive, but as I mentioned, we are a subscription on top of that, we are even higher consideration purchased because changing your dog's food is a major decision. And this is a major decision of what you're feeding totally. and what you care for. Uh, and also the transition process is to put it politely tricky moving from one food to another for anybody who's a pet owner who's tried to do it it can get literally messy so for all those reasons we are a very high consideration uh purchase uh, and then of course on the flip side is getting this high consideration purchase in front of people um is also challenging um, and certainly is pretty expensive there are plenty of other you know there are a few other players in the category but the reality too is that just the that dog and cat food marketing budgets across America are already in the many billions of dollars. And so, you know, carving out a niche and then communicating what we're doing effectively within that niche has been a, you know, like every digital and, you know, brand, especially digitally native brand has been quite a challenge. Um, But we've developed some pretty interesting strategies to help. Let's talk about some of those strategies because I'm very interested in in what works for that sphere. I love high-end products. Um, I, I think that they're the funnest to market. Um, every time yeah. our sales guys, so I, I also run a marketing agency. Anytime that our sales guys bring us, you know, high ticket items, I'm like, yes, because it's, there's a certain way to market. I'd love to hear how you guys are doing it. And then I'm going to steal your ideas. Great. Yes, please. Do. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is interesting because we are like a really high end good. We're premium good, but it's for animals. And then mm. also that, but again, humans buy it and it's also food. And so we have this sort of interesting triangulation, not only of value props, but of also how do we sort of begin to build audiences? And that is really where this starts. Um, you know, the average, you know, if you're looking at CPMs and things like that, um, right now things are terrible because holidays and Black Friday and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, good news for us is we are a subscription business. So this is actually the time of year that's most quiet for us, unlike pretty much every other e-commerce business. Because uh, mm. our year has been made well before this, just because of the nature of subscription revenue. Um, but we've learned a lot this year about how to approach first just finding the right audiences. And, you know, largely on Facebook, just because this makes it easy and it's you can iterate rather quickly. The big lesson that we learned was we went from pretty broad match audiences where we can achieve low CPMs and fairly low CPAs in our world, I yep. guess, just for order. We're an order of magnitude or and, and more above that $5 target. Uh, <laughs> a very, very high CPA target. <laughs> very, very high. Uh, um, just so everyone knows, I've, I haven't seen an account with a CPA of $5 unless it's like 
like a lead gen just getting an email address in a long yeah. time. So yes, <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. Good. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I would. We would all kill for that. Um, so you know, broad match is great to start. You can anchor yourself, but there. But frankly, the way that we look at things on at Nom Nom from a growth perspective. And this has been a big lesson this year has been moving from sort of conversions, which is obviously, obviously where you start and CPA to LTV, uh, you know, things like yeah. ROAS actually don't yeah. apply to us um, because we're a subscription, right? ROAS makes sense. Yeah. If you have a transactional good where you have to make money, we don't make money on the first and we don't make it on the second, right? We have an entire LTV and LTV payback model that we have to optimize around. But the challenge is it takes a really long time to learn what the lifetime value is. In fact, it mm. takes so long, you can't make marketing decisions upon it, right? If you waited for every campaign to have a year's worth of data, you'd never change your campaigns, which just doesn't work. And so what we had to do this year was really get serious about two things. One was optimizing towards a sort of moment in the, in the life cycle of the customer. That was the strongest signal we had to them being a good, good meaning high revenue, high LTV customer, but yeah. close enough to the time of purchase and therefore the time of impression and everything else uh, that we could make fundamental sort of campaign creative decisions around that. Uh, which we did and has been really transformative in how we look at every dollar spent, whether it be Facebook or anywhere else. So we're so optimizing around one? that LTV moment. So what is your number one KPI though, as far as Facebook ads are concerned or, or Google our ads or KPI, whatever ads? Yeah. Our number one KPI is still, is still going to be CPA. Although again, we're very brutal. We one day click one day view. Uh, because oh, you again, do. Can, can oh, we, yeah. can, can we just go into that for our audience for a sec yeah. here? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you do one day click, one day view attribution. That is mean. It's very mean. I'm I'm not very nice as Elise, <laughs> uh, who's listening in, can attest. I'm not nice. It's because I'm not a marketer. And so, like from my perspective, learning again, I, I came in knowing nothing about the space and learning uh, as I joined was that well, while a 30 day look back, for example, makes us feel really good, right, as marketers about how successful a campaign was or was not. And yeah. it's still useful for judging things like creative. So we still look at, look at that sort of views just to see what's resonating from a creative perspective. But at the end of the day, the growth function is a revenue function. And yeah. so we only succeed if actual human beings give us money, not a pixel firing as it's backfilling all of your CPA and making you look good for the next 30 days. Yeah. And so that's what we, we pivoted. We just said, you know, this is going to, this is going to suck uh, to put it plainly. And it does, it makes you feel very, very bad, but it gives us a really clear picture of a dollar in dollar out. What are we yeah. earning from any given um, campaign, which is important. Totally. Totally. I love that. It's uh, from my perspective, it's interesting because I own a, a mid seven figure clothing brand. Uh, and so I don't really care what ROAS numbers are like mm -hmm. any of that kind of stuff. Cause I just know, this is our budget and this is how, what we're growing at and this is what we're going to do. But as an agency owner and, you know, managing all of our team, we base everything on ROAS, right? And we have to, it's just the, the, the only way that you can. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy versus like, I get exactly what you're saying as a business owner. Like I want one day click, one day view attribution, that's it. But as a consumer, I'm thinking to myself, but I've made so many decisions from seeing products and then going direct to the website later is there, is there any way that you can marry what I'm trying to say together? Totally. <laughs> like, you know, am I crazy? No, no, you're spot on. It's, it's not incorrect, right? It's not like wildly inaccurate. Sure. You know, people are influenced, right? And, and, you know, I can talk about multi-click attribution models and multi-touch attribution models, which we also yeah. have, which is the other thing that yeah. we're looking at all the time. 
Um, have you tried Hyros? Is, what? Have you tried Hyros yet? No, we built our own. Um, okay. Which has been fun uh, because I'm a big data. That sounds player. like your background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's super nerdy. <laughs> hey guys, can uh, I build some software? <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and so you're right, it is influenced. And so that's why some of those looks are still valuable. But if you're really just want to get brutal about what's the ROI of any given any given you know campaign or, or piece of creative, you end up just having to anchor towards the reality of revenue. And the other thing that everybody else knows is attribution loss. Is that if you added up the conversions over any given time frame that every platform was telling you, I don't know, you tell me. In my world, that's a twenty to thirty percent swing. Where yeah. 20, there's where did 20, all the other sales more attributions yeah. than oh, actually yeah. exist in our customer base? Which is no way to run a business either, right? That's just like again, it is useful for for some use cases, but it's just challenging. Uh, and so we just had to get, we just had to rip the band off. Now I, I want to ask, and, and this is a total leading question. Um, are you, are you getting any other information from the customer on this or are you just taking data? Hey guys, just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply to start the process today. Now, back to today's episode. Uh, we are. So, I mean, we, we collect quite a bit of information um, being direct-to-consumer. We collect you know, quite a bit of information about them and their pet, and that's actually critical for the product experience because we uh, personalize these recipes. So we know lots about them. We're also shipping it directly to them, uh, which is important. Uh, certainly, and there's some interesting outcomes and in sort of you know types of customers and types of pets and what that means in terms of revenue and growth and things like that. So we do know a lot about our customers, which has been important um, and an important part of, of to your original question about sort of audience building. Um, you know, we, we've also learned that our customers are surprisingly diverse, and that has been really a challenge this year when we've started to do some re- pretty serious customer research. Hmm. Interesting. Can walk me through that a little bit. What, where's the diversity coming from? Are, yeah, are we talking like we, interest diversity or what? Uh, demographic. Uh, so we always knew we were a female dominant uh, business, certainly, which is which is true. Uh, but we had a sort of conception that we were pretty heavily weighted in sort of the the like Gen X sort of uh, age grade range. And what we actually discovered as we did a bunch of customer research is that we actually have a really nice distribution. We've got the millennial, we've got the Gen X, which is certainly like a large sort of locus but all the way through to, you know, to retirees and beyond, uh, which is great, right? On one hand, this is a product that resonates with sort of the major generational curves of, of, of people in the US. On the other hand, it makes like targeting really challenging, right? It makes yeah, yeah, it yeah, really yeah. challenging. It makes, makes it all really challenging. And so Creative. on one hand, we're like, well, this is great. Like, look at, we did this without even knowing it. On the other hand, all right, so how do we optimize, you know, for each of these different audiences? Yeah, I mean, one thing that comes to mind right away is, well, you're not gonna have to advertise on TikTok. <laughs> no, 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 no TikTok. Uh, we have not had to do that yet. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, we like posted I posted one organic video, and I was like, I had to download it. Obviously, figure out what's going on. I was like, I don't think this is for us, guys. I don't think I don't think this one's for us. We're gonna wait this one out. I want to give an encouragement to you and to everybody listening to this as well. So we we run a, a mastermind as well, and. Um, and there's some members in there who are spending some substantial dollar figures on TikTok, different industry, different target demographic, 
but are seeing incredible results. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Just letting you guys know, you know, if, if your target demo is there, you know, if they're the 18 to 24 year old female, male, um, go for it and try it. We've been seeing some interesting results. That's all I wanted to say. I mean, I like, we, we are obsessed with testing. And so, you know, we've tested, I mean, we'll test literally anything. Uh, I, I'd love to hear the craziest. Hard. What's the craziest thing that you've tested? I, I had something in my notes. Oh yeah. What is the craziest thing we've tested? I'm thinking um, that we've, I mean, we, so we approach all of our advertising with, yeah, a, a really intense testing sort of methodology in Facebook creative. We launch every, you know, we launch new campaigns and concepts every week. We have, 20 to 50 variants per test. So you can just do the math quickly on how many variants we've tested this year, all in-house uh, too, which has been fun from a creative standpoint. Um, but I think like, I don't know, craziest platform we've tested. I'm thinking um, the uh, the taxi one. The taxi <laughs> I saw that in my fun. notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's probably the flashiest, certainly. Yeah, we did, uh, uh, we got access to sort of like an early beta Halo bought this sort of over taxi replacement for the weird triangle thing, you know, oh, okay, okay. seen with like usually advertising like cabaret stuff in New York city. Yeah. Uh, and we, they're like digital and they're location aware. And so we were like, well, we've never done out of home. I can't imagine this is going to work, but if we're going to be committed to testing, we better start testing. And so were the CPMs money. pretty low. Um, CPMs were very, very low. Uh, again, if you believe the math, but again, you have to sort of <laughs> yeah, believe yeah, yeah. the math, right? <laughs> uh, but the, the idea we had was since they're location aware, we launched in New York city and all five boroughs. And we only basically played our ad spot when the taxi or the lift was within a quarter mile of a dog park. So we mapped every dog park and then we only played it when we were in a quarter mile of the dog park. And the thesis was, the hypothesis was, well, even though it's the middle of a pandemic and it's not exactly the best time to try out of home because most people aren't out of their homes, dog owners in New York have only one place to go. They have to go to the dog park to exercise yeah. the dog. And yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is actually a pretty interesting test. And so we did. Uh, we tested it. It didn't work. Like literally we could measure absolutely no change, like not to traffic, not to, like literally How nothing. How would you have measured it, Scott? So like well, all we were looking for was any increase in traffic to, uh, direct, the, direct to our traffic, direct traffic. That's all yeah. we cared about. And if we could measure anything, we would have said, well, that's cool. I don't think we, again, being a very performance minded growth team, I don't think it would have been a big part of our mix, but we literally just couldn't measure them. Have you guys uh, so added post-purchase surveys into your, um, we do. That's a, that is a, uh, yeah, we have post-purchase surveys, um, that, and we're, pretty, pretty decently sophisticated about it. We basically just nag people until they tell us, but we have all the randomization of questions. We have all that sort of good stuff built in. Cool. Uh, and that is a pretty important part of how we sort of determine, again, I think to your actually your original point, I put a lot of weight in where people tell me they came from because they're probably, again, through retargeting everything else, they've probably seen us a few times and whatever they perceive to be true, as far as I'm concerned is reality, you know, from a customer I'm perspective. I'm totally with you. We, we recently did this with our clothing company. We, we took a look at um, the data between, we were using this, um, this app called Prove It. And we took the data that, and I don't take any of Shopify's data correct anyway, but <laughs> we took Shopify's data versus customer reported data on the exact same transactions. And Shopify triple over-reported search versus what people said. It was like 10% of people say that they're coming in totally. via search. 
Interestingly, they way underreported social. Social is actually the, the after word of mouth was the highest for us. So I was like, man, I am so glad I'm getting this data. We're trying to like roll it out to every single client, um, not to prove that our, you know, social is working better than anything else. It's to actually know where to put the money, right. And where to put cool. our efforts and, and, um, Anyway, I'm totally like, I'm just, I'm loving this conversation right now, Scott. This is, this is good oh, stuff. No. Great. No, I mean, we actually, we see something very similar. You know, if you look at like all of our click attribution first, last, any, any other way, social is wildly underreported uh, compared to what people tell us, right? When they actually come in and say, yeah, this is, I heard of you guys on Facebook. I heard of you, I heard of you guys wherever. Uh, and so it's spot on. And the workflow that we believe to be true, and probably, and, and if you look at sort of the way we're tracking the last, first and last click, seems to be true is that just people use Google because they, again, they see the ad, they think about it when they're back on their couch having, having a cocktail at the end of the night because uh, there's nothing else to do in 2020. Uh, and they Google it real quick and then they click, you know, again, they click at a brand term, they come in. And so as a result, you know, uh, brand and SEM tend to get over reported from the sort of like the tracking code perspective. Totally. But again, having the self that, that survey helps you sort of counterweight that. Scott, let's talk about 2021. What do you see happening? What are some things that you're going to want to test this, this next year coming up? This, this is probably going to come out early January. Um, so I think this okay. is a really good timing. Yeah. You know, I think what we have spent, you know, what's interesting is we spent all of Q4 aggressively testing new channels and partners and literally everything, every sort of a hypothesis we can uh, because we're getting ready for Q1. And obviously, as I mentioned, being a subscription business, Q1 is the most important quarter of the year by far, uh, just because for, every dollar for acquisition. We, oh, yeah. Or for acquisition. Okay. And it's weird because, again, this is where like things like ROAS and these things don't maybe make sense because we're a subscription business. But um, the, it's because for every customer we acquire in January, so every dollar that we acquire in January, we can charge that person 12 more times. Well, 11 more times after January and everybody in February, I can charge 10 more times in March. I can charge nine more times, right? Gotcha, so every gotcha. dollar we acquire earlier in the year is worth more to us from again, the lens of hitting a year's target over a long, long time scale. None of this matters, but over hitting annual targets, that's why Q1 is absolutely critical. And January is the most critical, which is great because Right now, we don't have to get too aggressive in the markets because CPMs are terrible and everything. Yeah. Again, everybody's trying to really make their year now. We're, we were able to test uh, and then get ready for a really, really, really aggressive push uh, starting in January, which is going to be the plan. Uh, we're, we'll be testing um, the big bet we're going to be testing is OTT. Now, we've never done TV of any, any variety. Uh, it's terrifying for a performance marketing uh, team who's highly analytical. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm ready to turn this off right now, Scott. I know. I'm, I'm too uh, scared. I know. We, we have a couple of interesting hypotheses. Unsurprisingly, um, OTT is interesting because of the targeting. And so everything we've learned in targeting this year, we're, we are able to apply to it yeah. and build a really, really highly segmented test. Again, I don't think it's going to be the linchpin of our growth strategy, but it behooves us to test because, again, we're always looking for ways to differentiate our channels and continue to de-risk any one channel. Yeah, that's wonderful. Can you talk to me? How are you doing that? How are you running those ads? Are you using a certain platform, certain partner to, yeah. to run those? Yeah, so we, we are not, we're going direct to the platform. So, you know, we've talked to all the name brands you'd expect, the Hulus and the Rokus yeah. and everybody else. And so that's our approach for this test. We've talked to a couple of agencies um, and the challenge with, the, again, because even TV agencies 
tend to be pretty traditional, even if they're running on things oh, yeah. like OTT. The opacity just is too hard from a cost basis, right? It's like, you're not quite <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure yeah. how much of every dollar is going anywhere, right? How much of it is to overhead and agency? How much of it is going in media? That's why digital uh, is, is so beautiful, right? Is that exactly. like, generally you just see exactly, it's like, okay, here's your Facebook fees. Here's your agency fees. There you go. There it is. It's yeah. as simple as that. Is. And so that just turned us off, frankly. And, and the reality is like, well, we were going to have to build our own creative spot anyway. And so like, well, if we're going to do all that work. Yeah, you might as well your performance team there already. So they're there exactly. We're here and we're ready to go. And so let's just pick a test, a channel. Again, set up the best hypotheses we can and then run it like any other channel and we'll see. So awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I want to know how that goes. So you, I, I would love if you'd report back to me because uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see that. Um, Scott, we're kind of coming a little bit closer to the end here. What is, I could ask the question, I ask everybody on this podcast, what is your secret to scaling? Uh, our secret scaling was learning more about our customers. Uh, frankly, uh, we had a bunch of assumptions and they, some were true, but many were actually quite false. Hmm. And when we learned who they really were and what they were really doing, uh, and what they really cared about outside of their pet, um, that really transformed sort of all of our tactics, frankly, sort of overnight, you know, we went from everything from tactics like broad match and interest-based marketing to completely lookalike based and a bunch of other things. And so hmm. the security scaling for us was, it sounds sort of trite, but, uh, it is very true, which is analytically understanding our customers as well as talking to them. But once we build a large enough sort of, uh, data stack about who our customers were, it really changed how we approached scaling this year. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer. Um, Scott, you should be a podcast host. You're just so uh, good on, uh, on Mike. You are far too nice. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to move on to our lightning round here. All right. Okay. What is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now? In growth or just in life? Just in general. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, first thing. Oh, I'm using, there's a good, uh, I'm using a whoop right now, Oh, what's uh, that? which is another D2C company that does like, it's like sort of fitness tracking, but it's fitness and sleep. And they have a couple of, there's some interesting science around like how recovered you are. They measure oh. something called like heart rate variability, which basically says like how long between heartbeats and the longer the yeah, heartbeats, man. the more recovered you are decent science behind it. But it's been cool to see like, I mean, you intrinsically know how you slept, but to be able to then break it down by all the different cycles and then see like, oh, okay, today's a good day to really push it in the gym or whatever else has been fun. And it's like their business model is fascinating. It's free to start and then it's a subscription and the band thing costs nothing. So I've been nerding out about that. Interesting. I love looking into companies like that. Oh man, that's cool. Um, Great. Well, I mean, you, you combine hardware and software all together there. That's, that's wonderful. Exactly. Which yes. is the future. It's the future. People. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's actually the present is what it is. Yeah. It's literally what, yeah, what we're all living. <laughs> uh, Scott, uh, favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? Uh, podcast. I uh, have a, a CD background in software engineering. And so I don't get to code much anymore, but I do enjoy just nerding out about, uh, coding things. So I've been watching the vanilla or I've been listening to the vanilla job, po- uh, vanilla JavaScript podcast, uh, which has been fun just to kind of keep an ear to the ground and what's happening uh, in engineering land. That's awesome. I think you're like the first, you know, software dude that we've had on here. Oh, so. I mean, just to be clear, I was a psychology major in undergrad uh, and learned how to share. I was a liberal artist, uh, but picked it up <laughs> somewhere along the way and ended up falling in love with it. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, Scott, one more question for you. If you could sit down for an hour, have uh, you know, a beer, some wine, some coffee, some tea with anybody, they have to be alive, who would it be? Have to be alive? Oh, that's an easy one. That's Obama. Oh, yes. That's, man himself. That, wouldn't that just be such a great... Just I, I'm, I'm a Canadian, but man, would I ever like to sit down with him? Just like, yeah, like a nice beer with Obama and just, just listen, just shut up. I think it would be amazing. He'd just have that big laugh and... I know, exactly. I mean, like, yeah. It's the best. Yeah, yeah. I know recently, like, we, we watch late night comedy, like, every single night. Um, and, you know, Obama's been on his little book tour recently. And it's just like, oh, what a wonderful man, you know? Like, yeah. thank you for coming on and just being a class act. <laughs> yeah, just an absolute gem. Oh, best. Great answer, Scott. Uh, Scott, where can people find out more about you? And, and Nom Nom. Yeah, uh, you can find us at nomnomnow.com. Uh, and me, I'm somewhere on the internet, probably LinkedIn or wherever else people go to find. It's probably where we other. connected, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably uh, where you find information on professionals. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are the best places to find me. I am, not, as you probably can't, I'm not big on the socials, so don't really have the Twitters or anything else or even Facebook. But uh, I was <laughs> happy to connect with anybody who wants to talk shop. That's awesome. Scott, thank you so much for being on. Uh, this is an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed this. And I think this is going to really propel people um, into this next year in 2021, uh, thinking about some things that they can test. Um, so thank you uh, so much for being on. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.